All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today we are talking about the 2019 draft class with host of Locked On NFL Draft, John Ledyard. We're going to be talking about maybe some of the top offensive linemen, edge rushers, and D tackles possibly on the Falcons' radar next spring. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman. I've been covering the Falcons for many years at FalkFans.com, on Twitter at FalkFans. Of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, continuing this week of many crossovers on this podcast with another Locked On podcast co-host. This time I have John Ledyard, co-host of the Locked On NFL Draft podcast with uh, Trevor Sikama of Pewter Report. Dot com, as well as both those guys get their draft content at thedraftnetwork.com. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Yeah, John, man, it's uh, great having you on. It's been a while. I think the last time we had you on was uh, right after the Falcons took Tack McKinley, and we talked quite a bit about yeah. sort of uh, his upside and potential, and I think so far he's sort of exceeded a little bit of expectations. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's uh, worked out pretty well, I think, uh, for the Falcons. Um, you know, some guys, you look at the evaluation and you say, you know, pretty much he's been this player I thought he would be. And, you know, late first round type of guy, that's usually where you're getting early second round values, but everything. But, you know, you weren't sure how his limitations might hold him back. But you can see even now when you watch him, you can see like areas that he's a little bit limited in, in ways that he doesn't win as a rusher. But the man is just so relentless and so quick off the ball and so physical that it just doesn't really matter that much. Like he's still going to be productive despite kind of the, the limitations that he has. So he's, he's a fun player to watch guys like that, man. They just, he just, and that was the thing with him in college. He played so hard every single snap. You just got, you know, you'll, you'll see guys and you'll say, Oh, great effort player. But the guys like him are even fewer and further between. So I think honestly that, that, kind of just desire that physicality that desire to to win on every single rep that almost like ability to take every rep personally you know we underscore that stuff sometimes in favor of the traits but that really mattered with Tack McKinley who was one of my favorite things about him and uh, despite some of the areas that he is a little bit more limited uh, he's found ways to win anyway in the NFL and on that note you know you can argue that the opposite has sort of been true with Vic Beasley who, who came into the league with a lot of plus traits, but hasn't necessarily found consistent ways of winning. And because of sort of, you had two years ago when Vic Beasley led the NFL in sacks, but you know, one of the things I talked about quite a bit on this podcast was that a lot of that production came against lower level of competition. A lot of that came off of schemed things like stunts and twists and whatnot. And you just really haven't Mm -hmm. seen Beasley return the form the last couple of years. He's still mildly productive, but isn't the sack artist and, and doesn't sort of consistently show up in the ways that you want, certainly from a guy with sort of his pedigree. And that leads us to sort of the Falcons needing a little bit more help uh, in terms of supplementing their edge rush uh, going into potentially 2019. And that's where I want to jump off now and talk a little bit about some of these edge rushers. Obviously we know Nick Bosa is you know the premier guy he's not necessarily you know 
we could probably spend a whole podcast, and I'm sure you'll spend many a podcast between now and April talking about his abilities. But uh, he's certainly a guy that's going to definitely be a, a high-level pick. Right now, I'm sort of expecting the Falcons to pick somewhere in the teens, in the middle of the first round, uh, somewhere between that 10 and 25 range, hopefully lower as they win a couple of games here. But uh, <laughs> maybe some uh, guys that you're sort of looking at as sort of that next tier below. I, I know for me personally, John, because of sort of my displeasure with Vic Beasley, I, I sort of didn't look at a guy like Brian Burns as a sort of labeling him as an undersized edge rusher. And I was like, I don't want anything to do with any edge rushers under 250 pounds because of sort of my displeasure with Vic Beasley. But it does seem like maybe it wouldn't be fair of me to sort of uh, judge him uh, prematurely without really watching him play. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that that is a fair assessment because there's a couple things that are really different about Brian Burns and Vic Beasley never really – he didn't have coming out of college and you kind of just had to hope that he would develop in the NFL, and he hasn't. And I think the the big thing is the length. Brian Burns, not just the fact that he's 6'5 and longer than Vic Beasley, but he also knows how to use it. He knows how to use long-arm techniques. He places his hands well. He keeps contact off of him. Where with Beasley, you'll just see him getting golfed at times just because he he just isn't big enough. Um, and I think Burns, you know, that's not as much a concern for as light as he is. Uh, he's actually a big frame, you know, so I think teams are going to find they can add some muscle to his frame. You can wonder a little bit about how, whether he'll lose explosiveness or flexibility. If that happens, his weigh-ins will be important for sure. And definitely are worth being a little bit concerned about, but not to the degree that they that his size will affect him the way it did Beasley, because they are different body types, different makeups and, I think Burns' length really, and his ability to really use his length too, will lend itself to keeping himself a lot cleaner than Vic Beasley's been able to. And the other thing is counter moves. Uh, Burns, you know, he doesn't always go to him maybe as often as he should, but he's gone to him more and more this season. Uh, he gave Mitch Hyatt a bunch of issues with uh, with counter moves uh, when they played Clemson. So I think that that's a big thing with him that Beasley never really learned. Like if Beasley couldn't run around you at the top of the arc you know, very similar to Bruce Irvin in that way. If he couldn't run around you at the top of the arc, you know, basically that was all that he had. And he he hasn't really developed anything uh, else, any any other types of moves. Um, so I think that that's a big reason why his lack of production has been there, but it's a big reason why Burns has been able to win despite guys, you know, saying, okay, I'm going to take away the corner on you. Burns is able to get back inside of him because he can process that and he has go-to moves. I mean, everybody saw, I think it was a nationally televised game and everybody saw his spin counter move on uh, Virginia Tech and his ability to get back inside and make a huge sack uh, in, in a key moment of that game. So I think that those abilities with Burns that he already has, uh, just a better technician, uh, better at his craft than Vic Beasley is, I think that's going to make him a lot more, a, a lot better su- chance of success in the NFL. Now, another guy that's sort of been a, a sort of quick riser as of late, because I didn't really know much about him going into the season, but he's been a guy that's been getting a lot of buzz, is Ja'Kai Polite. And I know your co-host Trevor is a big fan of him due to his Florida connections. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, what are your thoughts on sort of him being maybe that uh, another sort of top-end speed rusher? Yeah, he is. He Some people would say he's a little more similar to Vic Beasley, probably because they aren't big guys. You know, he's not a big guy. Polite, probably 6'2", 240, which is right around, I think, Vic, Vic Beasley's measurables. Uh, I think Polite is faster uh, up the arc. I know that seems ridiculous to say, but he seems like a more loose and fluid athlete than Beasley does. I know Beasley tested great, and you know, but it just never really seemed like it translated as much for Vic Beasley. 
to the field where polite you can see his athletic traits on the field a lot easier he also has shown counter moves this season he has to get better with his hands in general but this year has been a big leap for him which suggests the arrow is kind of pointing up um, i still think with beasley you were betting on on unbelievable athletic traits and there just wasn't a whole lot of anything else on tape like there wasn't really hand usage there wasn't pass rush manipulation or anything like that or inside counter moves it was just this amazing athlete with incredible like natural bend and stuff but you just never it never translated in the field as easily as it should have and so i think some of these guys are just a little bit further along but you do worry about polite in the run game he does get engulfed a little bit he can get widened from his gap a little bit in space he's excellent he's a good tackler uh but at the point of attack yeah you worry about him a little bit less of a concern in the modern nfl um though because if you can offer those abilities to you know, speed and bend and those things as a pass rusher uh, teams are going to be willing to overlook a lot of the deficiencies in the run game. We've seen that with a couple guys over the last couple of years even. So uh, I think that Polite does have the chance to be a top 20 type of pick if he's able to test well and his weigh-ins go okay. Now, one of the things that Falcon fans have been eagerly anticipating ever since Dan Quinn came here is sort of getting their version of Michael Bennett as that sort of outside-inside guy. They tried to make Derek Shelby into like a poor man's version of that. That hasn't really worked out. They had an opportunity to trade for Michael Bennett this offseason. That didn't really work out. They could have drafted Taven Bryan this year as well, wound up passing on him and getting Calvin Ridley. And, and Bryan's usage in Jacksonville has sort of been more as an edge rusher than necessary interior guy. I'm curious, is there a guy at the top of this draft, maybe someone like a Zach Allen, that you think could sort of potentially fill that sort of uh, niche uh, if the Falcons sort of target him early in the draft? Yeah, Zach Allen's definitely one. You know, a ton of athleticism, but knows how to use his body, knows how to use his, get his hips and his feet pointed to the pocket from an edge rushing position. Still think he'll be a pretty limited edge in the NFL against most competition. There will be certain guys he can power through and bully. You know, we see some of the tackle play week to week in the NFL, especially backup tackles. When they get out there, you know, you can scheme and put Zach Allen on the edge against those guys, and he can find success. But really where he's going to probably see most of his pass rush reps in the NFL is on the inside. Like you said, I, I think that could be potentially a good fit. Maybe not the athlete Atlanta typically drafts, though, which could cause them to go in the direction maybe of a guy like Rashawn Gary. Um, there's been some concerns this year with Gary. Does he want to be out there? How hurt is he really? You know, there's been a lot of speculation. Uh, he's barely played. He's not, his tape last year honestly left a lot to be desired. It was, you know, he did, he does play hard when he's on the field. I don't want to make it sound like he's a low effort guy. He plays very hard when he's on the field. Um, there's just some ups and downs with him. Atlanta would be a good landing spot. They've got a strong culture there. A lot of highly competitive guys around him that would, I think, keep him really focused. And when he's focused, he really can be a good player. He does his best work on the inside, though, not, not a natural edge, but, you know, again, there's the power and the, and the energy to be able to play there and be productive, I think, in at least a rotational sense. Uh, I think on the inside, he can really – a more linear pass to the quarterback, that's going to be his bread and butter, I think, in the NFL. So uh, you put pack some weight on him. I know Michigan cut some of his weight, and I think that's really hurt his game. And uh, I think there's some frustration there with the fact that he hasn't – really it didn't wasn't any advantage to him, basically, because he kind of is who he is as an athlete – uh, and it might be better to him to put on weight uh, and be a good athlete for a, a, for an interior defensive lineman than just be an average or bad athlete for an edge guy. So I think that uh, the NFL is going to hopefully see him as a three technique and uh, that can play on the edge probably situationally and things like that. But I think he's a nice versatile piece that I bet he doesn't go as high as the, the top five, ten talk, 
I bet he's more of a late first, early second round guy at best. Um, so I think in that range, uh, you know, you could say that could be a, a guy that Atlanta kind of targets if they're in that range or willing to move into that range. Okay. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about the D-tackles in just a moment, but I do want to plug the Locked On Podcast Network and the NBA side of things where you can find shows including Locked On Hawks hosted by Brad Rowland, wherever you get your Locked On podcasts, your NBA team every day. So let's talk about the D-tackles. And, um, you know, this seems to be a pretty deep class. I know it's on your big board over at thedraftnetwork.com where you have a lot of great content for people to, on a daily basis, basically, you guys put out like three or four articles a day, it seems like. So, um, but going back to your big board uh, earlier this month when you sort of had your rankings, your top 75, I think you had like 12 interior defensive linemen in your top 50. So it, it does seem like, at least based off of that ranking, you think this is a really deep, uh, deep tackle class. Yeah, I do. And pass rush potential is kind of through the roof. Last year was a good class. There just wasn't great pass rush potential in last year's class. And in today's NFL, if you're going to give guys really high grades and value them as first and early second-round guys, they probably have to be able to offer something as a pass rush group. So this group from, from this rookie class currently has stepped in and done a nice job right away. Lots of guys rotating in, lots of guys contributing just not a lot of high-end elite type of talent that's going to make a big impact behind the line of scrimmage. So this year's class is so exciting because there's a lot more of those penetrating type of players, great athletes, guys who can get into the backfield, can get pressures, you know, can make tackles for loss, can reroute running backs, can be productive behind the line of scrimmage. Those are the kind of guys that are really going to make the money in the NFL and get big second contracts and all that kind of stuff. So I think there's a ton in this class. I think you can find a variety of different types, too. Yeah, everybody's going to try and pigeonhole who plays five-tech, who plays three-tech, who plays nose. In today's NFL, it's really not how it works. Nickel's the base 70 75% of the time. Your defensive linemen have to be able to play multiple techniques. Um, you know, the more uh, they can play on the edge, to be honest. You can run twists and games and do things like that. You know, it's just the reality of the modern-day NFL is that, you know, interior defensive linemen are not these big space eaters, you know, like teams like Baltimore and New England are still hanging on to those types of players and effective in certain roles. But, you know, you're, you're seeing Damon Harrison get traded for a fifth rounder or whatever because, you know, there just isn't a lot of value with those types of players. Um, you know, you have to be able to line up in multiple spots and consistently impact the pocket or impact things behind the line of scrimmage, um, just the reality of today's NFL. So yeah, I think this class fits that type really well. Obviously, it depends a lot on who ends up declaring for the draft. You know, there's good seniors, but really the media class is going to be underclassmen, uh, you know, are going to have to declare and, and enter this year's draft. So if that happens, I think we could be looking at one of the best defensive line classes ever, uh, but there's still that uncertainty with kind of not knowing how players are going to handle that decision and, and things like that. So I'll reserve judgment on that for now, but definitely the depth is there for Atlanta to be able to add uh, to really one of their only weaker position groups uh, later on in the draft if they don't address it in the first round. Now, uh, one of the interesting things I've heard you and Trevor talk about on, on your podcast uh, over the last couple of months is sort of where Ed Oliver is going to be viewed by NFL teams because one of the questions surrounding Ed Oliver, everybody who's paid any attention to college football the last couple of years knows how dominant a player he has been. But one of the big concerns is sort of his weight and the fact that he's playing around in the 
270, 275 range and the need that for him to be a D tackle in NFL teams eyes that he's going to have to put on a little bit of weight between now and, and say the combine or whatnot. And I'm curious, sort of, do you think there's a possibility, like I already mentioned that there's no shot the Falcons get Nick Bosa, but if say the Falcons are picking like 12 or something like that. And because NFL teams tend to be, you know, size Queens when it comes to D tackles for whatever reason, and you get guys like Grady Jarrett and, and others falling in the draft for no reason could NFL teams basically do the same thing with Ed Oliver to the point where maybe if the Falcons are picking in that 12 to 15 range that they you think there is a realistic shot that he might slide that far or is it just like he might not be the top three pick and slides to like seven or something like that yeah I mean I wouldn't totally rule it out although I'd be surprised if he fell out of the top 10 but I don't think it's ridiculous to suggest he might go you know, he might be more likely to go five to 10 than he will be one to five. You know, I think that makes sense. And that could be a fair assessment of things. And if he's there, you know, and you're Atlanta, who cares? You don't need that many players. You don't need that many things. You can, you can jump up a couple spots and give up your third and uh, a second next year or whatever it might be. You know, with Atlanta, they should be in win now mode. And if a player like that, I'll put them over the top, which I think a lot of people would say that it definitely does. You know, it, you know, I think you should go for it. So, the, the big thing for them is will they be in striking distance of a player like that? Because if you're asking me scheme fit wise, if Atlanta could pick one player and just from this draft and just put him in, regardless of where they're, they're uh, picking, I mean, Ed Oliver's definitely that type of guy. I mean, he's exactly, you talk about Grady Jarrett, everybody's like, well, they need a bigger body next to Grady Jarrett to even things out. That's just not the modern NFL, man. Give me, give me two guys like Grady Jarrett. Give me three guys like Grady Jarrett. Plus they already have the audience and not uh, to be able to fill a role like that as need be. So, to me, I think absolutely you're looking for another impact player behind line of scrimmage. Maybe that's on the edge. Maybe that's on the interior. Maybe it's both in the draft. I think they could still have, they could move up and still have the potential for it to be both. But I mean, I think that if you're looking for them to be in striking range, I think they, they could be in striking range. Now, obviously, it depends on how they finish the season. Now, Atlanta's good enough offensively to offset some of the injuries they've had defensively and still win enough games where it would, it would take something special for them to move up for a guy like Oliver. But I do think it, Oliver is probably more likely to slide to five to ten than be like the first player off the board or second player off the board, like it's been rumored for years. But the other thing hurting it is, depending on who declares, this may not be the most loaded draft class at at other position groups. Maybe you know quarterbacks going high would obviously help Atlanta. I just don't know if we're going to get that this year. You know, like if this were last year's class and your quarterbacks were going four and were going in the top ten. I would be like, man, if Atlanta's sitting there at 12, they might actually have a shot. But this year, just because it seems likely there might be only one going in the top 10, uh, if Herbert declares, and if not, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, That could really hurt a team like Atlanta if they're sitting at 12 in no need of a quarterback and really just needing the best skill guys to fall to them and the best guys at other positions to fall to them. You know, that could impact things too and could maybe prompt them to move up and say, you know what, if we get this one guy out of this class, then we feel like we had a great draft, regardless of the other rounds. And and they're in position right now with a good enough roster to be able to think that way, and I could applaud a move like that. So I think it's—I don't think it's out of the question to consider Ed Oliver as an option for the Atlanta, where they currently stand in the rankings. Now we have to revisit at the end of the season uh, to see what it would cost to move up. But if you're talking a couple spots, I think that could be in their wheelhouse. Okay. Um... I want to talk a little bit more about the offensive line in just a moment, but I do want to plug the two Locked On uh, Fantasy Football podcasts. First, you have Locked On Fantasy Football 24-7, where you can get your injury news and other news from around the league to help you win your league each weekend. 
as well as Locked On Fantasy Football with host Benny Iyer, where you get a new expert every day to help you guys win your league this year. Find both wherever you get your Locked On podcast, uh, your fantasy team every day. So let's finish things up and talk about the offensive line prospects. Obviously, the you know the offensive line probably is not going to look as promising as some of these top flight uh, edge rushers and D linemen. Um, but looking at the top, you know, the Falcons have really been sort of dealing with a lot of issues with Ryan Schrader, their right tackle, who's long been a very steady presence opposite Jake Matthews at that right tackle position, but has really struggled. You saw that firsthand with sort of how T.J. Watt was basically killing him every single snap in that Steeler game earlier this season. And there's been too many games like that this year where he just seems to be overwhelmed with players that once upon a time you would think like, oh, he could hold his own against those guys. So we'll have to see what he does the, uh, after the season. You also have question marks at the guard play where Andy Levitri is out for the season, but it was in a contract year. is probably not going to be back. So they're looking for someone to potentially replace him. Brandon Fusco, who they picked up this off season at right guard is also out for the season, but in the six and a half games he had played uh, prior to his injury, didn't necessarily look particularly good either. So um, the Falcons certainly could be in the mix. Um, to upgrade their offensive line. And and particularly one of the things I've expressed on this podcast recently is sort of if they do need to get an offensive tackle to replace Ryan Schrader, given the premium that typically is at the offensive tackle position in the draft, and they want a guy that can come in day one and be a starter, they kind of have to take that guy in in round one and maybe wait and get the pass rusher help in, in round two. And it seems like this draft class may be may fall away where that might be the best strategy. I'm curious. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it definitely could. We have to see who declares the tackle. Really. You know, we have to see what Trey Adams health situation is. There's just a lot of question marks still with the tackle group. It doesn't feel like everything we've heard is kind of indicated. The NFL doesn't really love Jonah Williams as a tackle and may want to move him inside. I don't know where Atlanta might fall on that. I actually think he's somewhat comparable to Jake Matthews as a player, so I wonder if maybe they would be intrigued by by him. You know, we have to kind of, but I think some of the t- tackles we've already soured on a little bit. You know, I, I don't think Mitch Hyatt's really an NFL tackle. I think you're going to see him go outside the top 100, and I think you're going to probably see him move inside. Caleb McGarry from Washington State or from Washington has only played at right tackle. Um, you know, that's we always hear NFL teams talk about that. David Edwards from Wisconsin also a right tackle. Um, maybe that bodes well for Atlanta. I think those guys are talented. That could be somebody they consider. How high do they get pushed up the board? Um, Jawan Taylor switched to right tackle and has actually, the Florida guy, has actually improved his stock this season um, by switching to right tackle. So, again, there's a lot of just right tackles um, that teams may see them as just that way, and maybe teams don't value them. I don't know why they wouldn't. Uh, to me, I think both tackle spots are just as valuable. I don't differentiate between the two at all. In the modern NFL, you know, you just have so many pass rushers that you need two good ones. So we'll see how they view But a lot of the top tackles, you know, Dalton Reisner, I didn't even mention, he's the right tackle. You know, a lot of these guys are right tackles. So in some of them may move inside. Yeah. So I think there's going to be that big question with a lot of these tackles. We're going to have to see how it shakes out. Um, the big thing for me with Atlanta is don't create a problem where there maybe isn't one. Um, and I don't mean that to say Ryan Schrader is great. And don't, you know, don't move on from him. Don't think about moving on from him. Uh, but it just, you know, last year, he's been pretty good his whole career. You know, it just feels like he, I don't think he's been horrendous enough this season to say, I definitely want to move on from him after half a year. You know, tackles are hard to find. 
And Trader's been a guy that's kind of built himself from nothing. He was undrafted, right? Yeah. So I just think that I, I think with him, you you give him a little more time to be able to figure this thing out and get back to that consistency that he was at because he's had a really good career there. And this is definitely a down year so far for him. But, you know, is it disastrous enough that you're ready? Because if you're ready to move, if you're going for tackle, you're right. You have to go for it high. And, you know, if they feel like that he can right the ship and I don't know if he's playing banged up or, or if there's something going on, whatever it might be, you know, I know he's a little bit older now, so maybe you're thinking about moving on anyway, but I just think that his play over his career is warranted giving him a little bit more time, at least until the end of the season, we'll see how it finishes out, you know, because like you said, you'd love to be able to say, oh, I'm going to go edge defensive line or defensive line in the first round, maybe whichever one of those I didn't get in the second round, and then, you know, try and address interior offensive line at some point in free agency or in the draft, and then I feel like I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty set, you know, as a team. Um, you know, Schrader's gone through periods of his career in 2016, especially where I felt like he was in the argument for one of the better right tackles in the league. So, you know, can he get back to that? Is it his age? Is he declining because of that? You know, he's only 30. Um, you know, so I think that uh, that's a question that Atlanta's going to have to kind of answer. But I definitely think I definitely feel that they have kind of a chance to, if he can hang in there and be get back to being a little more consistent, they have a chance to focus on their on their bigger needs. And, and really make this roster strong. So I think they're all kind of hoping Schrader gets back to the consistent ways that he's played in the past. And I, I think that's still possible for him. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point there, John. It's one of those things that the other alternative sort of talked about in recent episodes is sort of um, thinking like, you know, depending on how you look at this draft class, because a lot of these decisions have to be made based off of uh, what the draft class looks like, what the free agent class looks like. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously we're sitting here in November, uh, you know, and, and those are decisions that really can't realistically be made until January, February, March and whatnot. But, you know, one of the options is to sort of basically keep Ryan Schrader for a year. That gives you the flexibility that you can wait on an offensive tackle, take a guy that maybe is a little bit more of a developmental guy day two or early day three or something like that. Uh, give him a year to sort of, you know, sit the, sit behind Schrader and then, you know, plug him in in 2020 or 2021 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that allows you to address some of your other needs that you want to address early in the draft, particularly, you know, if you're able to get, you know, pass rushers uh, instead of using that high pick on an offensive tackle. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And um, yeah, is there, uh, as far as interior guys, uh, you know, ever since the Falcons, uh, missed on the opportunity to pull the trigger on David DeCastro. It seems like that right guard position has been a problematic issue for them. Um, is there a David DeCastro type in this uh, draft class in your eyes? I don't think so. I mean, I, I should preface and say I have a lot of work to do still on the offensive line class. It feels like it's always the last class because it just generates no real buzz in season. You know, you you always end up hearing about a couple names, finding a couple guys late. So, Right now, I don't think I've seen anybody that I would say that's a first-round talent. But there's some guys I need to see more of, like Nick Harris from Washington, definitely a guy that I want to see a little bit more of um, because I've heard some good things. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of the guys in this class, you know, I think they're more like mid-round types. Um, one guy that's interesting is Garrett Bradbury from NC State. Uh, he's a center at NC State. He is uh, an unbelievable zone blocker, outside zone, and I know Atlanta has run a lot of that. Um, and I think that he is actually in the run game, high end comp for him would be somebody like Alex Mack. So I wonder if he could play guard, 
um, and maybe bulk up a little bit because in fast stretching he needs work, uh, I think. And that's obviously super important in the NFL. But he'd be an interesting guy schematically I could see fitting. I just don't know if there's a position for him. And I don't know that he's going to be immediately ready to play because of some of the concerns and pass protection with him. But uh, very talented as in terms of what the Falcons would ask him to do. He would be ready to step in and do that in the run game. Uh, Chris Lindstrom from Boston College is another one to probably keep an eye on. Uh, a guy that is kind of a mauler. Uh, I don't know that he would fit that outside zone type of scheme as much, um, but I think that there's just a limited ceiling with Lindstrom. And, and a lot of the guys in this class that you might point to and say, you know, just a limited ceiling with them. I don't know that they're going to be great players. They might be stopgap type guys. They might be okay starters, but, you know, are they going to be difference makers on the offensive line? Last year's offensive line class I loved. This year's just feels like a guys that are going to have to find the right niche for them, and they're probably not going to be able to do everything well. And, you know, you're probably always going to have to manage them in some way. They can help, but, you know, are they going to be an answer per se, or are they going to be a guy you want to spend a first or high second on? You know, probably not. So that, that's kind of how I view the class right now. But there's a couple guys I want to see more of before I really decide how I feel about the group. Okay. Well, uh, John, when you do decide, where can people hit you up on Twitter as well as wherever you also have content on the interwebs? Yeah, the draftnetwork.com is where all my written content is and Locked On NFL Draft Podcast five days a week with Trevor Sikama and I Monday through Friday. Um, and then obviously on Twitter at Ledyard, L-E-D-Y-A-R-D, NFL Draft. Okay, John, I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll get to talk again during the off season and we can sort of revisit some of these topics and, and talk a little bit more in depth about uh, some of these uh, edge rushers and D linemen and whatnot that may wind up fitting in Atlanta when we have a, a more complete picture on this draft class as well as uh, this 2018 season. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Have a good one. So there you guys have it. Another sort of, you know, we, we, we did a lot of content this week looking ahead to 2019. Uh, if you missed it Monday and Tuesday, I sort of gave my assessment of the Falcons needs. Uh, as you probably can guess, if you've been a regular listener of this podcast, uh, you know, the issues for the Falcons seem to be squarely in the trenches, offensive line, defensive line, and securing those spots and solidifying those spots uh, will probably be the biggest priority of this offseason. But if you listen to Monday's and Tuesday's show, there were other positions on the roster that I also discussed that were also uh, areas of concern moving forward that the Falcons can't purely do as, as some people have said. And, and certainly I've probably said it once or twice on Twitter where it's like, oh, you know, I hope the Falcons use all seven of their picks on the offensive and defensive line. It's like, no, okay, maybe like four out of seven. But, uh, you know, they, they still have some other areas of their roster that they, they certainly can't neglect uh, moving forward. And so definitely you want to check out Monday and Tuesday shows earlier this week to sort of get my thoughts on what those other positions are. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting as we move forward um, to sort of evaluate this Falcons roster, evaluate some of these um, draft prospects. I've only seen glimpses of some of them. I, I typically hold off on doing too much draft evaluation uh, until we get to December, January, uh, getting prepared for the senior bowl and whatnot. Um, but I did do a little bit of homework on some of the edges and some of the defensive linemen and some of the offensive linemen this summer because I knew, uh, or I, at least I had a strong suspicion that those were going to be the areas of the Falcons roster that would be um, areas of concern. Um 
coming out of the season. So um, we'll have to see what goes on. But uh, I, I think, you know, for for those of us, including myself, that are like eager for the Falcons to to start to build or at least get closer to building this sort of Eagles, Jacksonville level of defensive line, I think this year's draft class might have some options for them. So that's something to get excited for. And for you guys, you know, some of these names that John mentioned, maybe check them out if you get an opportunity to watch some football on Saturday between now and the end of the season, as well as when we get some bowl games and, of course, the college football playoff uh, when we get to January and whatnot. So just some names to keep an eye on so that you guys can do some preliminary, you know, draft work between now and, and say, February when some of these guys blow up at the combine and whatnot. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm done rambling at the end of the show. And uh, you guys know where to hit me up, all the various platforms that I'm at. If you want to provide your feedback or ask questions, uh, we'll be back on Monday with a rapid reaction to whatever happens in this Falcons-Redskins game on Sunday. Uh, but uh, between now and then, if you want to hit me up on Twitter, I'm at Falcfans. The show's Twitter handle is Locked On Falcons. The Facebook page is Locked On Falcons. The email address is LockedOnFalcons at Mail.com. And, of course, you can leave a comment at FalcFans.com where the podcast is posted daily. So, until then, guys. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.